0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to learn tips, tricks, and stories from other investors in the field. Before I introduce today's guest, I have three short housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like our content, the best way to support us is simply to like, subscribe, comment, or share this episode with your friends and family. Second, we are active investors ourselves and are always on the lookout for mobile home, RV, mixed use commercial, and multifamily properties in MSAs with a population of 100,000 or more. So if you are also an active investor and have something you think we may be interested in, we would love to take a look. Send us the details of the deal at www.therealestateinvestingclub.com. Third, if you are a new investor and would like to learn how to get started or scale your real estate investing business, go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to check out our course so without further ado let's dive right in we have a very special guest with us today so buckle up grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride all right we are live today we have brian bradley with us from the beautiful state of oregon um, the senior managing partner at bradley legal Corps. bradley or brian thank you very much for joining us today Matt, thanks, Gabe, for having me on and putting the podcast together. And,
1: you know, it's going to be an important topic. And I hope that the concepts we talk about help your listeners. And, you know, I know we're going to be blowing up a lot of misconceptions and, you know, getting pushing through the status quo. So it should be a good topic.
0: Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that topic, to get us started, why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and how you got started in real estate in the first place?
1: Yeah. So I'm an asset protection attorney, and, you know, my, Practice focuses on higher net worth uh, clients, high risk professionals, real estate investors. Um, and I was selected to the best attorneys of America list, I'm, you know, selected to the lawyers of distinction list, three years in a row, super lawyers rising star list, you know, top 100 high stake litigators list. And the way I got into asset protection and at this higher level was just through being a trial lawyer. And I just got tired of you know, seeing people come in after the fact, after they were being sued and their lives just turned completely upside down and having a false sense of security that, well, I have insurance, that'll cover me no matter what happens. Or, well, I have a revocable living trust. A trust is a trust, right? Like, I don't understand why that's not protecting me. Um, and I wanted to get ahead of issues for investors and business owners, entrepreneurs, and people who are trying to elevate themselves and others. Um, and then by just being in the legal system, the sad thing is, is the legal system's broken. You know, it's not about justice any longer. We're simply a sue happy nirvana, nirvana uh, with more than forty million lawsuits filed every year. And wow. you know, and yeah, and was it ninety nine percent of all the lawsuits in the world are filed here in the U.S. Jeez. Yeah, and it's now become a three hundred billion dollar business. You know, billion with a B. Wow. Yeah. And so what we do is, you know, provide peace of mind for clients. When a client calls in and says, Hey, I'm looking to protect my assets. Like really you're calling in saying, Hey, I just need, I want peace of mind. Um, and we keep in mind the overall goal of this really is just lifestyle preservation. And then more importantly, how collectible you are. And we do this by placing a legal barrier between your assets, you know, through the use of LLCs, you know, limited liability companies, limited partnerships and a bridge trust. Um, And it's very flexible. You know, when you do this stuff, you only have the right way. You're only going to be adding, you know, one page to your tax filing um, and you keep control of your assets. And, you know, nobody, I can't stop you from being sued. Nobody can. You know, the only thing you have control over at the end of the day is how collectible you are. And so, like I said, what my firm specifically does is work with these higher risk professionals and investors that kind of hit that 1 million net worth mark or more. Um, And, we work within, you know, within our network. We've collectively protected over four
0: billion of, you know, assets so far. Wow, that that's uh, that is awesome, and and. Uh, you said one million net worth. Some people may think that's, uh, you know, wow, that's a lot of money. But it, really, when you're talking about real estate, once you once you really start getting into it, it's really not that much. Especially when you're in markets like Seattle that I'm in, Portland that Brian's in, um, anything like that. The first house you buy is is going to be five hundred thousand dollars. And so once you get some equity into that thing, um, you're going to hit the 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 one million mark pretty quickly. And uh, and protection, especially when it comes to the legal protection, is so important. Um, so, Brian, thank you for for the summary, and uh, I am super excited to have you on here because um, the legal side of things is something—it's like taxes; it's it's convoluted to people who aren't in the the sphere, um, in the industry. But it's so important; um, it's 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 more important than people think to have uh, the right the right legal structure in place to have the right. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to let you talk to the specifics <laughs> of that because you know yeah. more than I do, but. Um, it is super important the the legal side of things. I know you're going to go into depth. So, um, just to give us a little give us a little summary. It sounds like you uh, you got voted best attorney of America or uh, the list of best attorneys of America, which is awesome. Yeah, Congratulations.
1: That Thanks. that was pretty cool. I got you know that this year, and that selection is really something that most attorneys try to aspire for. But just to get nominated, it's only one percent of attorneys. In America, they get nominated. Then only one percent of those that actually get selected into that as a member. And I was like, "Oh yeah. wow, <laughs> that's
0: that's a great, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's a great laurel to put on put on your vest there. That's yeah. uh, that's fantastic." Um, so y- you know, you've been you got into asset protection. You were a trial lawyer. You saw y- you know every week you'd see more trials go through where, where landlords would just be um, being sued left and right. Um, It sounds like there are millions and millions of of cases going on. Uh, I mean, not just specifically real estate, but uh, suits, suits uh, lawsuits going on every year. Um, So you just kind of, you saw that and you're kind of heartbroken based on the fact that this could have been prevented um, had they known a little bit more about the legal side of things. So, um, so why don't you take us into the specifics um, I I know this can get uh, into the weeds pretty quickly, but um, looking at it from a perspective of an investor, um, say somebody who's just getting into it or who has maybe uh, a single family and a couple duplexes, triplexes, um, something like that, they're they're nearing that million dollar mark. Um, what is what are the things that they should be aware of and that they should be looking out for, um, going into this? What are the legal legal structures they should have, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. And um, like, I think the best place to start real quick is just like, what is asset protection? You know, like no one even understands what this term really is. And so it's not traditional estate planning. This is modern estate planning or strategic planning. And all we're doing is placing a legal barrier between your assets and your potential creditor before it's needed. Like if you did this after the fact, it's not really going to work because then we get into fraudulent transfer issues is preventative planning. And that's it. It's just like a barrier, like a safe that you're going to put your gold or your guns or your valuables and jewelry in. So anything of value, you want to put behind a legal barrier and out of your personal name so it's not easily attached with a lien or attacked by a creditor. And so as we start this process you know, think of it as layering. There's in different scales. Like if you're starting out and you just have a few assets, you still want to do something. Okay. And then as you grow, you're going to outgrow a basic LLC, then you'll need a management company. Then as you grow, you'll need something more, more protection wise, then you're going to add an asset protection trust. And so as we break this down, I want your listeners to think about winter. Um, when it comes to acid protection, we have different layers. You know, I'm from the mountains originally in Lake Tahoe. We get lots of snow. I also lived in Michigan where it's freezing. And so we learn how to dress in layers. The first layer is your base layer. It's generally made from like merino wool, and it's going to sit on your skin. And then you want a mid layer, which is usually a little thicker, and it's going to be like synthetic or wool. And then you want a nice outer shell layer that's waterproof. And this keeps you nice and dry and warm when the weather gets really cold and bad outside. You're in the middle of bad winter. But, uh, you know, but by layering, you're now more flexible. You're like When it gets really hot and you're skiing or like ice fishing or whatever, you can take the outer layer off. Or you can take the inner layer off. You can take the middle layer off. You can, inju- you can adjust and make yourself more comfortable. The same thing applies with your asset protection. You know, the base layer, like to address your question of what to do when you're just starting out, is your LLC, you know, your limited liability company. It's going to be holding your real estate. Um, your mid-layer is your holding or your operating company. And it's this mid-layer where you actually do want to use one of these really strong states that you hear, like Arizona, Nevada, Wyoming, or Delaware. Delaware. Um, Now, those base layer entry-level LLCs can all be single-member LLCs um, if you're going to be layering it with a limited partnership because that's going to then help you with tax filings when you add to that middle layer um, protection because all those LLCs and those K1s are just going to flow directly through to the management company. The problem generally is that most clients come to me with like 15 LLCs and they're all single-member LLCs, um, but they're all in the client's personal name as the member. The problem is that courts have a tendency to disregard a single member LLC. You know, so they're basically worthless. Huh, what you want. Yeah. Which you, that's what I, it's what I actually didn't know. That. Start, <laughs> yeah. And this is the, this is the issue is most people start an LLC, but they don't think about it as asset protection wise. They think about it as tax wise. Yeah. Which is fine and it's okay. But if you were just to keep this base level entry, what happens when you actually, I only care what happens when you get sued. Because that's what I'm trying to protect about. If I'm in court, how's this going to hold up? It's going to become worthless. It's going to be pierced because of the single member entity status. But it's a good thing if you're adding a mid-layer limited partnership because that multi-member limited partnership is going to own those LLCs. So because that single member LLC is going to pass through to the limited partnership, all those K-1s flow directly through through that. So then you're layering. So this is what you're doing by layering. And so, so, what's that? I'm gonna
0: jump in real quick yeah. here because um, I, you know, I work with uh, with examples work really well for me. Um, so uh, for example, I I have um, you know me personally, I have some single family, multifamily that are just just me. I'm I'm mm-hmm. the sole owner of them, and I did put them in an LLC, um, but that is where it stopped. So that, that I just owned them in an LLC. So what you're saying is that I should be creating a management company. Um, and then transferring the title or the, the, the properties into that management company is that, uh, you would keep that properties in that LLC,
1: the ownership of the LLC would be through the limited partnership. That's how you're layering it. You're keeping it still out of your name. You're adding another layer and another degree of separation. Um, and people forget first word, first letter of LLC is what limited. Like they tell you the protection straight there. Like, this is just limited, limited. <laughs> liability protection. This isn't silver bullet, you know, Dracula protection. Um, so you need to realize, and in today's legal state, piercing the corporate veil, it's very easy to pierce a corporate veil just from bad management, bad funding, commingling of assets. Simply by holding an asset in a holding company, that's not really an operating business. That's just you holding an asset in that property. So that's really not a business. So there that's an easy way to pierce the veil right there because you're not running a business out of there. But you don't want to run out of an operation out of a holding company. You just want it to be held. So you how you manage all these pieces, people don't get they just create the pieces, but they don't manage them properly. And so they just converted for example, if you create a Wyoming or Delaware LLC and you own a piece of property in California. And then you put that California property in a Delaware or Wyoming LLC, you're now paying franchise tax in California, the property's owned in California, the injury or lawsuit's going to be coming through California. You converted that Delaware or Wyoming LLC to a California LLC, because once you get sued there, California law is going to be applied because you can't take Delaware or Wyoming tort law or property law or damage laws with you because that, those state laws don't apply where the lawsuit's coming. And so when you're creating these basic systems at the foundational level, we would just say, if you own a piece of property, create the LLC where the property's at, because that's where the lawsuit is. That's the situs of it. You're not going to be taking jurisdiction with you in that realm. Start separating out the equity of the assets that you have. So if case one property goes boom, you don't want it to affect all the other properties. So if you have 10 properties, don't put 10 properties in one LLC separate them out so you at least the equity doesn't bleed that's going to start getting to be a cpa mess they'll like to charge you for the hourly rate of that but it's going to be kind of expensive for you to manage that's where you come in with the limited partnership the management company those k-1s will flow directly through so it's just one tax filing at that point you just have a bunch of llcs now you have if you have 10 llcs you have 10 k-1s you're filing 10 separate tax filings now if you put them into the management company it's just one tax filing, one bank account.
0: Gotcha. And so as you're
1: layering, you're systemizing the organization, making it easy to function. Then as you grow and you hit, you know, 850,000 to a million net worth, you may not think you're a presumed target, but those six renters who own your you know, property do or whatever your day job is, if you own your own business or you're a doctor or whatever, think that you are just by wearing a white coat, you're presumed to be rich. Um, you have a lot to lose. Um, that's, so that's why I say that one million net worth is easy to hit. Depending on the area that you're at, and if you're successful at investing, you can hit that in a couple of years. The problem is, it takes a lot of people to build that level, but it takes one lawsuit to wipe it away. Five million dollar mold, you know, claim litigation claim off of a fourplex. You lose that, yeah. you're wiped out. And so that's where the big part of it that works in conjunction with the limited partnership and the asset protection trust come in. It's the two of them and really a proper asset protection trust that comes in that gives you
0: the full strength. it's uh, funny. I'm, I'm actually taking notes here myself because this is I uh, I didn't know uh, most of this. Um, so I, what, I mean, I had been taught to put all properties into uh, to one LLC um and I heard, had heard of putting things into a limited partnership, but I'd never heard of um adding the additional layer uh of p- putting all of that in a trust. Um and so adding that 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 third layer, what kind of additional protection does that provide somebody? Yeah, so this is where the magic
1: really happens when you hit that, you know, 850, 1.2 million net worth mark. Um and I'm gonna break down the trust by starting with jurisdictions, like a really fancy word for who controls what. Um so this final this final layer is like your bad weather layer, it's your outer shale, you know it's cold, it's snowing, you know you're in the frozen tundra or in the Siberia for some reason. Um, <laughs> this is where picking a proper jurisdiction is so important, and what jurisdiction means you know and why it is so important is that the laws and the rules that govern you and trust and your business entities are going to be different from one jurisdiction to another. And this means from one country to another, one state to another, one county to another. And so when you're creating an asset protection trust, you have two options. And I'm going to break these both down um, for for your listeners. There's the domestic option here in the U.S., or you can set them up offshore in another country like the Cook Islands. Um, Just from historical standpoint and context, I'm going to start with offshore. And that's just because this is where all of this began. So like, let's just take a quick historical journey and we'll understand why. Um, The offshore trust came in 1984 in the famous Cook Islands, they created them. Um, I prefer personally the power of going offshore if and when it's needed. It's not for everybody, but there is a way to combine the best of both worlds at the end of this journey. Um, It's just the best home court advantage. And the power of the Foreign Offshore Trust is what's called statutory non-recognition. You know, that's why a Cook Island Foreign Asset Protection Trust is still the global standard even after 40 years of existence.
0: Specifically Cook Island too, huh?
1: Specifically the Cook Islands. Interesting. What what this means is that your U.S. judgment is completely worthless in the Cook Islands. So if you had, you know, a $10 million judgment against you and we transferred the assets to the Cook Islands for full control... Even it's the IRS, the SEC coming after you, and there's a lot of case law on this, and that's why these are so strong globally. They can't reach the assets to exercise on the judgment. They're safe there because the Cook Islands have statutory non-recognition with every country in the world. Sorry, uh-huh. we don't recognize your court orders or your judgments here. Interesting. You would have to start the case all over from scratch in the Cook Islands, facing the highest legal standard in the world, the murder standard, beyond a reasonable doubt. The oh, wow. plaintiff suing you would have to front all the court costs and fly in a judge from New Zealand. You can't take your U.S. attorneys there, so you got to go find an attorney in the Cook Islands. And the great thing also is if you lose, you pay. And so if you're facing you know, a burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, like the likelihood of you paying plus being able to financially afford all of this is less than a percent. And right. there's only a one-year statute of limitations. Huh. It sounds really great, you know, but if you're going to go purely foreign, it's not for everybody. You know, and that level of protection is overkill for a lot of people. And honestly, like I only put about 5% of clients into it. And it's a hard pill to swallow just because it's going to come with a high cost to go purely foreign. Generally, you're talking about fifty, hundred thousand $100,000. You're going to have ten dollars to $15,000 maintenance fees on that annually. A lot of IRS compliance that you're going to have to do on top of it and disclosures. Um, so what we see is that clients just don't want to deal with all these hurdles. And so they go to the domestic U.S. protection trust. And those came about 10 years after the Cook Island started. And it started in Alaska. And you know, once one state does it, you're going to have Wyoming, Delaware, Nevada. They're going to all want to get in on this. And so now we have about 20 states with some sort of domestic asset protection trust called self settled spendthrift legislation, one way or the other. Um, but the problem with the purely domestic asset protection trusts and why they fail on effectiveness is that it's just the U.S. Constitution and the full faith and credit clause. You can't, every state has to recognize and honor another state's jurisdiction. So if you're being sued in California, Hmm. and you have a Nevada asset protection trust or in a judgment from that state, you can't just say, well, hey, sorry, I have a Nevada asset protection trust. The way our legal system is set up is to honor other courts and states judgments. And then we have another weakness of that, which is a lot of states, those statutes are only for the residents of those states. If you're a California resident, they don't have an asset protection trust legislation. So all of those people have to go to like Nevada or Delaware to create those There's a case, Kilker v. Stillman, 2012, that came out and said, hey, sorry, we don't recognize these out-of-state asset protection trusts. You're a California resident. We're going to get access to those assets anyways. Too bad. And so, you know, like, that's why for asset protection, unless you have some sort of offshore component to it and you're just a purely domestic entity – you're not really as protected as you really think you are. It's more smoke screens is something is good. Like that's the foundational level, but how it's going to hold up in court. If someone has a big lawsuit and a big claim against them, you're not really in a position of strength to negotiate, to make that lawsuit go away or say, Hey, I'll give you a penny on the dollar. Goodbye.
0: Yep. And uh, I, I mean, so many things are are running through my brain here, but i I mean, one thing that I was thinking was a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm I'm not going to get sued. I run my company very well. Um, there, there's just no risk there. But when you think that way, is when when things can go ha- go wrong. Because when you run a company, especially in real estate, there are other people that are under you that you uh, that you subcontract with that you have on your actual team um, that you are liable for, and that uh, you're really responsible for their actions. So if they do something that is against the law, um, you would, it would come back to you. And that is why you want this. Uh, I mean, not everybody needs this level of protection, but it is, um, it is the reason that you'd want to, to have this, this type of protection is because, uh, not everything is in your control, obviously. Life
1: life happens. And it's always the stuff that you don't think about and the negligence that comes up that will wipe you out. Like I didn't expect a big mold to start coming in there and get black mold. And then someone gets sick or I didn't expect to give my car to my buddy who drank, drink and drive and T-bone somebody or yeah, I'm renting out that property to them. They had a party, somebody slipped and fall and, you know, broken an arm and a fire started. It's just weird things that happen, but these things happen all the time is the sad thing about it. You own a business and you own an asset. You're a doctor who also invests in real estate. Now you have a big massive malpractice potential plus real estate liability um, and everything else. And so it's a matter of what's the whole scope of your life and your liability that we have to protect you from. And we do a risk analysis on that. But the good thing is, is like, you don't have to just pick domestic or offshore, you know, like you can actually, what's called a bridge trust, bridge the two together and get the best of both worlds. And so that's, that's where we go with clients is what we're doing is combining, um, you know, the, flexibility and ease of a purely domestic asset protection trust with the strength and power of a foreign asset protection Cook Island trust in your back pocket, if, and when you need it. And the way we do this is by, and we started, you know, my partner, Doug Laudmill created this about 30 years ago. So it's been around just as long, almost as long as, you know, the foreign asset protection trust. So, you know, it's been very vetted in court as well. Um, You have the domestic plan, and you, it's an actual foreign asset protection trust in the Cook Islands with an established offshore trustee from day one. And then we build the bridge back domestically by staying in IRS domestic compliance. And so because we stay in the IRS compl- compliance of a grantor trust is classified by the IRS as a domestic trust. So now we don't have to deal with all the extra expense of ma- you know the maintenance expense. So now the maintenance goes down to like $2,100 a month. The trust is about, you know, with the asset management company and an LLC, $29,000, um, you get the power up of offshore Cook Islands if and when you need it. We just then drop the domestic IRS compliance mechanisms, and now you're just purely foreign. Then when we need to bring the assets back, we slot the IRS compliances back in, and now you're back to being classified as a domestic asset protection trust. And so you get the benefit of both worlds the flexibility the easy you know lower level of cost the le, you know, the, the flexibility of the maintenance um, plus the strength and power of the Cook Islands if and when you need it and all you're using are tools that have been around for a very long time LLC limited partnership and a trust and it actually simplifies and cleans up your system and gives you true strength and you can scale into it so if you're starting out. You're not going to call and be like, hey, I want the bridge trust, Brian. No, you want an LLC. Yeah. Then you may want another LLC. Then two years later, you're going to call and say, hey, you know, how do I, this is getting out of control on the maintenance. Okay, let's put in that management company, that AMLP, that Asset Management Limited Partnership. And then two more years later, I need that bridge trust. Let's connect
0: the last piece of the mechanism to it. I, I love it. I love it. So I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to summarize here because you've covered, uh, you've covered a lot of topics so far and it's really great. Um, so, I mean, we're in that, in the end, or at the beginning, I suppose we're talking about asset protection. So protecting those the the properties that you're buying um, out there when you're when you're doing your investing when you're investing in real estate. Um, step one, when you buy your first property, you're just going to be putting in an LLC. Um, you don't need much more than that. But once you start growing, you get uh, two, three, four properties. Um, you're going to want an asset protection nope sorry an asset limited partnership <laughs> right yeah an asset management limited partnership it's a limited partnership but when you use them for this they're called asset management limited partners perfect and then once you hit that 1 million um, 1 million mark in uh, in net worth um so we're talking either equity um other assets owned or just cash stocks etc um at that point you're going to want to go into the trust um, and there's two different ways to do that. You can go to the domestic route, the cook islands route. And I actually had to Google cook islands while we were talking here because I didn't realize where it was. Yeah. Uh, it's way out there in the ocean. You don't want to have to go there. Um, so you, you have those two options, but with what you guys do, you bridge the two. So you have a, a, a lower um, maintenance cost, um, but you still get the protection afforded by the International um, Cook Islands Asset Protection Trust. Cor- correct.
1: That's it. And then if you were to have a really bad day and you were to call panicking, we would determine if it's important to pull the trigger or not. Nine out of 10 times, it's not. It'd be like a real estate investor going into a flip and someone who's not used to fix and flipping, looking at a train wreck and the fix and flippers saying like, this is a gold mine to us. We're used to seeing this stuff. So like we would just calm you down that w- 1% of the time when we say, Hey, this is a train wreck. We need to pull the trigger. We would be the ones deciding like, we're going to pull the trigger, call an exercise, a, a an event of duress and then drop in the domestic client c- compliance offshore cook islands fully now, 100%. And that's when we come in to negotiate and say, hey, we'll give you a penny on the dollar. Get out. Go away.
0: Perfect. I love it. Um, And that is why you would hire somebody like Brian uh, to protect you because um, just for that, that, the peace of mind, it's not always going to happen. But if it does happen, you're going to freak out. I mean, I would freak out. I know I would. So You you spent so
1: much time building all of this and then just one unexpected event. That's why this, you know, prevented a planning. It's just like the reason you have insurance. I don't plan on getting into an accident, but I have auto insurance. I have home insurance. You have it just in case. The just in case is that's not enough
0: to protect your whole legacy. Absolutely. Um, So, Brian, we are... we are getting to the end here. We try to keep these around 20 to 30 minutes. Um, So I'm going to shift gears. Uh, I love everything you've said so far. Um, I'm going to shift us uh, towards the end of the round, uh, the end of the episode here. Um, We do really quick questions uh, really succinct here. So, Um, question number one: If you know the Brian that just got started, I didn't have a year that I wrote down here, but way back in the day, um, you you invest in real estate yourself. So, uh, so that Brian who just got started going forward, um, if you could go back and give him one piece of advice in real estate, in uh, what would it be? Don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. There's only so many
1: books you can read. Like eventually, they're going to get repetitive. You're going to have to just start doing it and learn as you go. But that's like in life, you know, like you got to eventually just jump in the deep swing, kick your hand, you know, feed and swing your arms around and be like, wow, I'm swimming. You're swimming crappy, but you're still swimming. And <laughs> you'll figure out how to swim, you know, like Michael Phelps later on.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I don't know how many books I read before I bought the first one. So I, I can attest to that one. Um, second question, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just dogged books, but it, this one is about books, <laughs> two, uh, two questions, your favorite, um, give us a recommendation for your favorite business or real estate related book. And then non-business, non-real estate related
1: book. Yeah. So non one, I'll go with the alchemist because it's kind of an, an internal journey about yourself, um, and pivoting and life's always about a pivoting and nothing really working out in your way. And, and you got to have an, what's that?
0: I was going to say that's like Paul, Paul Aquilo, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is a great one. Um, and then, you know, the best, uh, you know, like investing book I like, I think it's called, Oh, the bank. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, in my library, the banker's code. Um, because I like to invest as a bank. You know, I, I like to own notes and I like to loan money um, and, you know, spread out liability to other people, just like a bank. And so I can do more with it passively. And so that's just my, I'd rather just be a banker.
0: Makes sense. That's uh, the biggest buildings in New York are always bankers. Yeah. Um, And last question, um, online tools. Uh, You know, we have so many tools in our life. We don't need them all, but there are a few of them that are super, super useful. So if you could give one recommendation for a tool, online app, um, phone app, anything like that, what would it be?
1: Yeah. um, I really just... Exercise wise, I really like my activity app on my watch because it's internal motivation to where I'm like I burnt this many calories and this active now let me see if I can do more. Um, so like I live off of that one. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I love it. Awesome. Well, Brian, again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, I've appreciated everything you said, and I know everybody else um, watching and listening did as well. Um, You've given us a lot, but we want to give back to you. So if someone were to to bring you something, what would you want to receive, be it leads, um, book recommendations, uh, um, anything?
1: Oh, just if you have questions, feel free to email me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com, or jump on my website, www.btblegal.com tons of information there. Like th- people get a lot of misinformation or they call, you know, one shop, stop, fix it all type of people. And it doesn't work that way. Um, and you can't DIY this yourself. So, you know, the best thing that I can do is whether you want to work with me or not, or think that you can afford it or not, get the right education, then go talk to somebody else. I would just rather have people um, properly advised, do the consultation Um, or even if if we feel you're a good fit for a long-term client, you like we'll start you off at you know with an LLC. You got a good investment strategy, you know, we'll
0: we'll work through you the whole way. Perfect. So there you go. You can reach Brian at Brian at BtLegal.com. I will also put his uh LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So if you want to click through there, you can reach Brian that way. Um so again, Brian, thanks for coming on. I really appreciated it. I enjoyed the conversation. For everybody listening and watching, thank you guys for joining us on this journey. Um, And again, the best way to support the show is just to subscribe, like, and share with your friends and family. We look forward to having you guys on the next episode. Thanks, Gabe. Thank you for joining us on the Real Estate Investing Club. If you feel we provide a value, we would appreciate it if you hit that thumbs up, share with your friends online, whatever it may be. you'd like to share or partner with us on an investment deal, we are always looking for quality projects. Go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to get in contact with one of our partners. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic day and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make.